0: Next news as it happens, next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR, Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. Into the record here, if I may get the uh, congressional record moving here. There we go. Hey, uh, you know, uh, I just received a, a very important note here from uh, a researcher who was working outside of Boston, and uh, he said, I'm doing a, uh, a, a paper, a research paper on uh, American humorists. And he said, I would like to know whether you'll tell me what is the original uh, uh, inspiration, uh, what, what caused you to become a humorist. Well, now that's a difficult question to ask. I mean, that's like writing uh, Arthur Miller and say, "What caused you to become a Tragedian?" But <laughs> I, well, I can only say this: that that, that I, I have to I have to come. right, uh, I'll weigh in with it with a theory about this, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, get a little theoretical here tonight. That I think all of us, uh, at one time or another in our lives, are affected by stuff that our parents do. Now, that's a pretty much of a cliche, but I mean. I'm not talking about uh, uh, things that they do to you. I mean, things that they do. That's different. And so if, uh, if your old man uh, every Saturday night uh, gets mad and uh, runs out and eats at the McDonald's, says, "The hell with you, I won't live with this crowd anymore, that's going to affect you after a while, you know. So you begin to relate Saturday night with running out and eating at the McDonald's. And uh, that's what you do sometimes. Now, uh, on the other hand, there are things which uh, occur to you passively. Now, uh, I've always admired guys who lived in a very straight life when they were a kid. I mean, that uh, they grew up to be very straight, official people. You just can't imagine anything funny going on in, the, let's say, uh, uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon's uh, house when he was growing up. I mean, I just can't, uh, you know, it just sounds... I have a feeling that was a very very straight, square house. Now, uh, now let's take... Uh, uh, what what you could call peripheral uh, influences. Now, if you're uh, if you're a kid, I bet there's a lot of kids that are growing up today who uh, who are not aware. You see, they they think no that that their parents aren't affecting them at all because they're sitting up in the room there and they're sulking all the time. Not the parents, the kids. See, so a lot of kids do that. A lot of kids spend their time up in a room sulking, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, <laughs> which uh, which you know it's it's one of the uh, Let's put it this way, one of the, uh, one of the uh, identifying characteristics of the breed of the kid. You can identify a kid because he sulks. So, uh, you know, just like you can identify a horse because he's got these four feet. And he goes, you know, there's you certain identifying characteristics. Well, uh, you are affected, however, whether you like it or not, or know it or not, in peripheral ways by things that happen regularly around the house. Now, so you have... There's a kid that's being affected by the fact that uh, every Wednesday night his uh, his uh, mother and his father squat in front of the TV set, eat Frito Lay's, and watch Cannon. Right? Okay. <laughs> now you think you're not affected because you're sitting up there being hip, you know? You're sitting up there reading uh, Mad comics and listening to Shepherd. But that that uh, that doesn't uh, that, that, that you can't escape uh, that that 40 years from now uh You will have been affected by this uh this uh, Wednesday night uh, cannon syndrome, or we never miss Hawaii Five-O syndrome. So you, you, it's part of your life, you see. So when I was a kid, my mother was not like other mothers. I must uh, I didn't know it at the time. I mean, I just uh, accepted it, and I didn't realize that uh, that uh, things were different at home than they were in other kids' houses. For example, there was never any soap operas on in my house. My mother never listened to soap operas. She does not watch soap operas to this day on television. There are some people who need vicarious lives, and there are others who don't. My mother was not one of them. She was living in her own soap opera, so why the hell watch somebody else's, you know? (laughs) So, no, it's serious. She never watched soap operas nor listened to soap operas. Okay. But what did come over the radio? Well... I, and I never listened to this stuff. Now, remember, I was not listening. I would be going through. I would be, uh, you know, in the kitchen making a peanut butter sandwich or something and uh, fooling around and uh, going out. But all the time this stuff was coming out. It's just drifting around. It's like Muzak, you know. What did she listen to? Well, I'll tell you. She listened to, uh, always she was listening to a guy named Ransom Sherman. Did you ever hear of him? You haven't. That's right. Ransom Sherman <laughs> is, is, is a legend. He really is a legend. And, and uh, like many legends, you know, one thing about legends is that they're not universally uh, known. In short, uh, how many of you, a lot of kids are growing up today who do not know about, let's say, the legend of Paul Bunyan. You'll buy that. And yet Paul Bunyan is a legend. Because you don't know about it, doesn't make it so that he isn't a legend. That, that Ransom Sherman is a legend. Now, uh, what was he a legend about? Well, Ransom Sherman was probably the first totally off-the-wall surrealistic comic that ever worked in the mass medium. And he was the forerunner to much that came later, including uh, much funnier, incidentally, in his heyday than Fred Allen, uh, which is uh, almost a sacrosanct thing to say, an (coughs) evil thing to say, like sacrilegious, I'm saying something, right? but he was a very funny man and he was a legend he was in his uh, he was an underground uh, comic now if you can imagine a mother that goes out and secretly mainlines Lenny Bruce that's going to be a different kind of mother that <laughs> than, uh, well here was my mother sitting around listening to, to to Ransom Sherman well now what kind of things did Ransom Sherman do well he did many things totally surrealistic he had a place called for one thing, he had this show, you see, it was on the radio, he had this show where he used to do a daily remote from a place he called Steggy Prep. And they had an orchestra, the, you know, the school orchestra would play the William Tell Overture. It sounded terrible. And my, my mother's laughing like hell. I couldn't figure why she's laughing at this. It was a terrible band. It sounded exactly like the Morton School band. But my mother was laughing, and I would come, the, the announcer was, was getting Ransom Sherman. Good afternoon and welcome to our Education Now program from Steggy Prep. Today we're going to interview Spike McBullet, the uh, dynamic coach of the Stegy Prep football team. And Spike came on, and Spike, uh, let's put it this way, Spike was a totally light-footed coach. I mean, he had hair ribbons in his hair. It was funny as hell. My mother was laughing at hey, me. I know what she's laughing at. So, all right. That, now, that, now that's, that's the first influence. <laughs> right. so I always thought of the radio as something that was funny I never listened to any dramas or any of that kind of jazz which apparently other people did the only time I ever was involved with uh, listening to the radio was Ransom Sherman uh, Vic and Sade was on all the time have you ever heard of Vic and Sade? you didn't well Vic and Sade was, let's put it this way it was a, it was a classical parody of the soap opera great classical parody, Vic and Sade and their son Rush, who was constantly reading a novel called uh, uh, Third Lieutenant Stanley Among the Aborigines. And he would begin by reading the novel and say, Third Lieutenant Stanley said, Lady Margaret, I shall protect you from this wave of overwhelming savages which you're about to attack. Stand back. And then he never finished the chapter. So uh, that was <coughs> that was another thing that I heard all the time. Now, when you when you're when you're sitting there laughing at people called Bluetooth Johnson, <laughs> Bluetooth Johnson, <laughs> and and Vic, by the way, was in a was in a lodge called the Sacred Stars of the Milky Way, and he was the Sacred Big Dipper, and he worked at the Plant 14 of the Consolidated Kitchenware Corporation of Peoria, Illinois. Now, uh, when you hear this kind of stuff, you you don't you don't take the kind of view of uh, let's say the mass media as, say, a kid that is listening to uh, Terry and the Pirates, who thinks of it in uh, very stodgy terms. To me, that's very straight stuff. And, uh, you know, now now that uh, is the only thing kind of... Uh, and Oh, there was one other influence, too, that uh, I must say influenced me strongly. My father had, uh, had a bookcase, which uh, was filled with books, strangely enough, which was a very unusual sight in our neighborhood. You had a book in fact it's a very unusual sight in many people's neighborhoods right to this day friend so don't laugh with that supercilious laugh. How many books have you bought lately buddy? so <laughs> nevertheless, you had a bookcase full of books <laughs> and uh, I used to I used to sneak these books out and read them because they were there you know and uh, the first book that I read well, was uh, well, I, I remember reading it it had a yellow cover. And uh, this book uh, really affected me. It was called The Claw of Fu Manchu. Now, he had a claw. See, I, I don't bother you with the plot. It was fantastic. But I do remember Fu Manchu sitting in his throne room. He had a throne room. And uh, he had these deep, sunken cheekbones. And he emanated a, 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 a radiation like around him. He emanated the feeling that he was thousands of years old and uh, he, he, his eyes were, were yellow slits that glowed in the dark, and flickering lights of evil would play across them from time to time as he's talking to C. Nayland Smith, who was about to be fed to the man-eating mushrooms. Now, you know, I read this. Now, a lot of you kids grew up, I suppose, uh, reading ser- you know really serious literature, right? You sat down there, and you were told by your parents that what you should read is uh, is Norman Mailer. Uh, you know, uh, I, there I was reading the Claw of Fu Manchu. Now uh, there was also another book that I read, which which was in that same bookcase, which forever has influenced me. It was called After nineteen three what? Now that, who wrote that? That was written by Robert Benchley, and uh, and uh, in, in his preface, it said the reason he called it that is because it, it sounded like an important title. He says he, 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 uh, he says, you know if you come on and you, you, you call your book uh, a lot of funny stuff or uh, you know <laughs> funny jokies He says nobody reviews it. It gets pushed at the back of the counter and uh, you, get, you get hidden down there with the Snoopy books, the cartoon books. So he says if you have something called after 193 what? obviously the New York Times is going to review this it's a sociological tome. Uh, his next book was called uh, David Copperfield or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He said that he wanted his books to sound like books. <laughs> so <he laughs> now, uh, I'm reading this, you see. This uh, affected me strongly. Uh, this is W.O.R. New York, friends. And uh, you want to hear some of the other uh, influences on, on my early childhood, right? Uh, many of us have had a late childhood. Uh, in my case, it was early. I had an early childhood. Uh, yes, I worried a great deal by the time. From the time I was six, I began to worry. But... Uh, uh another influence at the other end of that uh at the other end of that uh great list of books there was a book called she by h rider haggard she now the 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 premise of this book it was it was later made into a movie now the premise of this book was that there was this 900 year old lady <laughs> she, was, she was 900 years old and she lived in a cave <laughs> with a lot of other guys and you know, a lot of other she was the like the like the, like the the king or the queen or something there see she ran the whole show and the hero uh, fell madly in love with her this 900 year old unbelievably looking great uh, lady she just looked great and uh, yeah she was just fantastic and he fell in love with her well anyway at, at the end what happened was well I don't want to burden you with the ramifications and the convolutions of the plot it was a very complicated plot but in the end, all of a sudden, she dissolved. She, you know, she was in this cave where she was hermetically sealed or something, and so the air got in her some damn thing. And while he's a, you know, he's in love with her, all of a sudden, right there in front of his eyes, she turns into this ancient clone. And then she got older and older. The next thing you know, she's 900 years old, right there in front of him. And she's up a little pile of dust. Well, you know, when you read this at the age of eight, uh, you, you don't really look, at life much the same, because I had felt for a long time that Miss Shields was at least 900 years old in our school there. I was expecting the wind to blow in one day, you know, and she turned to dust. Well, now, these are the early influences. Had I lived in a family where the father read the Wall Street Journal and the mother listened to Mary Marlin, backstage wife, I probably would have grown up to be a very successful Metropolitan Life Insurance salesman and later, uh, you know, I would uh, write a book on how to sell insurance to your neighbors. And, uh, yes, I, I <laughs> or I would have been, uh, gone on to become a um, moderately successful orthodontist. Uh, and uh, I've always felt a little cheated that I did not live in that kind of a family. I, I seriously do. Now, I, on the other hand, I, I, <laughs> I could tell you more and more about this, and I'm probably boring the hell out of you. So we'll bring you back to life here, buddy. Uh, Here's a commercial or two or maybe 20 or 30. Uh, They'll inject a little spirit into your marrow. Bring them on there. There's a new comedy in New York. Critics and audiences alike are hailing it as the most hilarious entertainment of the season. It's All Over Town, the story of a young guy who turns the girls on with his innocent charm and lack of cool. Barnes of the Times called All Over Town a hilarious comedy and praised Dustin Hoffman for pulling it all together. But you can't see All Over Town all over New York because it's a play with live actors like me, Cleavon Little, on stage at the Booth Theater. See it tonight and find out how funny a Broadway play can. B. And now for the Hills Food Report for the week of March 24th. Meat, fish, poultry, and cheese. These are the big stories for Easter meal planning at Hills this week. Hills shoppers will find many choices at substantial savings. Hills has that traditional Easter favorite. Smoked ham on sale at 79 cents a pound for the shank portion, 89 cents a pound for the butt portion. Fancy snow white turbo fillets are 69 cents a pound. They can be found at the supermarket with the largest selection of fish in town. U.S. grade A Norbest tom turkeys with a pop-up timer, 18 to 22 pounds, are just 4 And Palio whole milk ricotta is just $1.99 for a three-pound package. Shoppers who stop at Hills this week are invited to choose from a complete selection of Easter foods. And don't forget to check the weekly Hills newspaper ads for valuable coupons before you do your shopping. Coupons are extra savings in addition to weekly sales features. If you don't shop Hills this week, you'll probably pay too much for food. Happy Easter from Hills. Which high-potency vitamin do physicians and pharmacists recommend most? Theragran and Theragran M with Minerals by Squibb. The name Squibb on the label means that you have no doubt about the honor or integrity of the maker. And right now you can take advantage of a great special offer. Buy 100 Theragran or Theragran M tablets at the regular price and get 30 extra tablets at no extra cost. 30 free when you buy 100. That's a month's supply for one person. But the offer is limited. Get your Theragran by Squibb now. It's the brand physicians and pharmacists recommend most for mixed vitamin deficiencies. Available at all fine neighborhood Genevieve's drugstore outlets. Peter Lynn Hayes and Mary Healy for Finnair. Look, Mary, we've got to change our travel plans. Everyone's hearing about it. Why, Peter? What are they hearing? Finnair's radio commercials about the escorted tour we booked to Scandinavia. You know, the one that includes Finland. Oh, well, Finnair's spoiling Scandinavia. The only thing that Finnair's ever spoiled here was that. Remember last year the Finnair tour we took... The Great Hotel, the Uncommon Curse. Yes, of course, but they were not telling everybody about it on the radio. Mary, you know what happens when everybody finds out. It spoils it. Well, look at it this way. Finnair's tours aren't for everybody. Hmm. Well, that's certainly true. And it's also true that everybody who goes on a Finnair tour enjoys unusual attentive service only experienced travelers have found. For more than the usual Scandinavian holiday, ask for something right out of Finnair. It's the start of the finish. For one of the most unusual tours of Finland's spectacular north, get Finnair's new brochure, Trails of the Midnight Sun. Write to WOR New York 10018 or see your travel agent. Ask for Trails of the Midnight Sun. Have you ever had the no-cash, no-job ketchup sandwich blues? An entertaining article in this week's Village Voice tells what it's like to go absolutely, completely, dead broke. Also in this week's Voice, an intriguing interpretation of the great submarine caper, Did the CIA use Howard Hughes? Or did Howard Hughes actually use the CIA? Buy this week's Village Voice on newsstands today and keep ahead of the time. Did you know that female cats and dogs, after they've been spayed, are generally more healthy, more affectionate, and suffer no loss of vitality or personality? Help tear down old wives' tales which have prevented us from controlling the animal explosion causing orphan pets. Beying and neutering can be done at the Humane Society of New York. They're the people who never destroy a healthy animal. Help those who can't speak for themselves by sending a contribution to the Humane Society of New York, 306 East 59th Street. Right, we're back again. Now, uh, (laughs) I I can tell you, you know, speaking of influences, now I know I, I have a lot of documentary evidence on one important facet of uh, what uh, I guess you could call your life work, and that's this: that my my work has influenced people. I know this. In fact, I keep getting letters from guys, you know, who uh, like the other night I, I, a great letter. I got a letter from a guy who was uh, riding. He was driving a truck. He started out. He says I was dri- I was riding driving my truck along towards Spartanburg, South Carolina, or is that North Carolina, South? Anyway, he says he was on his way to Spartansburg and he said he was. He was driving the truck, and he said he was uh, a very literate, funny letter. Incidentally, he's a Ph.D. in education, and he's, uh, he's uh, driving this truck. I don't know why, but he, he is. It's a romantic life anyway. So he's, he's, uh, he says, I was driving along, and he said, I was tuning across the radio dial in the truck, and he says, all of a sudden, out came your voice. and He says, my God. He said, I realize that, uh, you know, what, a, what an unbelievable influence at this point that you've been on my life. <laughs> and I realize this. I accept it. I realize that. And I realize that, that 25 years from now, there will be guys who will be telling their friends, trying to explain to them what this was. And just like I tried to explain Ransom Sherman to you, and you didn't know who he was. Uh, but it was, his contribution was great. He he affected practically all of American comics. Did you know that? Yes, that's right. Do you know that there are composers... That, that affected, say, uh, uh, Stravinsky, uh, that that uh, the people hardly ever know about, but whom Stravinsky looked upon as really the great geniuses. Uh, there were several. Now, uh, so a guy like Ransom Sherman, you can't put him down because you don't know anything about him. He was a great, uh, ter- a seminal artist. He was a, he was one of the great uh, uh, background people in this business, a real comic, but. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, I remember one show. He used to do a TV show. Did you ever see the Ransom Sherman television show? Well, he had a TV show. Came out of Chicago. Now, see, Sherman, Sherman did. He made a mistake, I guess, in his career, if you want to call it that. That almost everything you do in this life is really not so much how well you do it; it's where you do it. And and ball players can tell you this. There's many a mediocre ball player who is in the Hall of Fame today only because he played in New York, that had this same guy played out his career in, say, Pittsburgh or, uh, say, a place like uh, Kansas City. Who would have heard of him? But New York is where it is, you know? (laughs) And so, (coughs) if you're going to be a shortstop, (coughs) be one here. Do you realize how big Hank Aaron would have been had Hank Aaron played the last 20 years for the New York Yankees? I mean, seriously. Uh, you know, but it's just a fact. So, so Sherman did all of his work out of Chicago. He didn't come to New York, nor did he go to Hollywood. He did his work out of Chicago, which was the wrong place to be <laughs> for his field, you know. And, and so, but nevertheless, this is, this is the kind of influences you see all around you. Now, now, uh, another influence on me when I was a kid are other kids. You see, other kids influence you strongly. Uh, And this is not taken into account much when when people talk about artists. They'll say, you know, you'll you'll interview somebody like uh, Norman Mailer, and you tend to think that he was only influenced by writers. Well, not necessarily. We're all influenced by millions of things. And and some of the most critical influences, really critical influence, is often somebody that you can barely remember, but who puts you on attack at one point you know a attack a chorus he, he he steered you somewhere well there was a kid now i don't even remember this guy's name now i'll tell you at, at one point there was a kid living in the neighborhood in our neighborhood there who was a very a different, different different type of kid from all the other kids around there now all the kids that that i knew they you know played ball and and that we all uh we were very active types you know we played ball and football and all this stuff well, this guy moved across the street. He only lived there about a year and a half, two years. But there was a curious quality about him. He was, uh, he was like a, a true loner, you know, and we weren't used to loners around there. He was a loner. See. Now, you would think, oh, it must be really romantic to see him as James Dean or something like that. No, he was just a sort of a schlumpy kid that was a, was a kind of a loner, and he was, <laughs> he was always down at the, uh, at the library. He, he was a reader, fantastic reader. Now, he was not the kind of reader that you're thinking of. Immediately you're thinking of the little short guy with the thick glasses who is the studious type. No. This kid was hung on reading, not studying. Reading. That's different.
1: <laughs> Very
0: big difference. So uh, at that point, I, I used to go to the library a lot for, for various other reasons, but the library was right down the street. Played a great role in my life. And I used to go down to the library, and this kid would be down there. And one day I was sitting at this table... Uh, looking at Boy's Life which was why I went to the library mostly they had a subscription to it <laughs> and popular mechanics I always figured out I look at popular mechanics right so I'm sitting there uh, uh, looking at Boy's Life and this guy is at the same table See, and I knew him his name was Johnny something I don't remember the last name even he, so he's sitting there and he's he's really laughing and he's laughing like hell and I said what are you laughing at he says uh, oh he said yeah, just laughing at this book he was kind of never never said much and I said well what is it let me take a look at you know what is it what is it yeah nah, nah. he didn't want to talk about it because people who read are often a little embarrassed about the fact they do so uh, I said to him well, what, what what are you reading he says well here he says read. it's really great well he gave me a book now I don't know why this caught me it really caught me man I mean I I read this I started to read it and I started to laugh right away and I read every conceivable thing I could lay my hands on by this guy. The book was called Leave It to Smith, spelled with a P, P-S-M-I-T-H, Leave It to Smith. And this, he was a student, this guy was a student, this Smith. And he was an English student, it was funny as hell. Well, I, I really dug it, and uh, I'm going to take this point right now to, uh, in a posthumous way to salute the writer of this, who I think was one of the great users of the English language, who just recently died. <clears throat> who was it? Well, I'll tell you, P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, great, great user of the language. I wonder how many people know that he was also a great song lyricist. Did you know that he wrote one of the great classical all-time standards? You ever hear a tune called Bill? la da dee da da <laughs> well, anyway, he 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 wrote a he wrote a fantastic collection of books. He must have written 200 books in his lifetime, and I think I wrote read 240 of them. And uh, Bertie Wooster and the Drones Club, Freddie Widgeon, and uh, all the great characters you've heard of—Jeeves the Butler. Well, that was a P.G. Wodehouse character, and uh, so this. Affected me really strongly, and I was always trying to make book reports in school. They'd give us book reports, see, and and, uh, and they'd give us what they called a uh, approved reading list. Well, you know, the stuff that was on the approved reading list was really zingy stuff. I mean, you know, like Ivanhoe, uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Boy, was that a boring bunch of nothing! Uh, <laughs> I couldn't get past the third word of that. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, there's some people who read this stuff and really like it. Uh, you know, the, the Deer Slayer tales. Boy, was that ever boring. I couldn't stand this stuff. And, uh, others, you know, they're really living through this stuff. They love it. So I was always trying to, to hand in a book review on, uh, Leave It to Jeeves. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it's almost impossible to put in a book review, unfortunately, on a humorous writer, because that's not considered a serious writer by the official Academy people, which is really sad and tragic, because some of the great writers, I mean truly the great writers of the past, have been essentially humorous. The great writers I'm talking I'm talking about the 1st rank writers and I can tell you who they are. Voltaire. Funny as hell, Voltaire. Uh, uh, yeah, really. Uh, Jonathan Swift. Had a savage, wild humor in his, in his work. Uh, I bet you couldn't make a book report when he was around. I mean, you know, if you tried to review uh, Jonathan Swift, try to review uh, Gulliver's Travels, it's not a serious book, stop it. You would have to review uh, uh, Summa Logica or something by Thomas More. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, the, that's the way it is, you see. So if, if your life is going in that direction all the way through, so I, I was always reading Jeeves, then I started to read another guy, uh, who who really got me going even more in fact than P. G. Wodehouse was it was a writer named Stephen Laycock. Now you look him up L E A C O C K Stephen Laycock. Uh, Stephen Laycock is a Canadian and uh, he was a Canadian historian I believe a very official academic type but he didn't write history he wrote these wildly funny uh, essays and collections of books uh, that that. I can't describe it. You just have to read them. Well, then I then I began to, to, to uh, move out in the other directions. And uh, here I am when all the other kids are reading uh, stuff like uh, Flash Gordon. I'm sitting there reading Thorne Smith. Well, I know who Thorne Smith is. Oh, you know who that is, for heaven's sakes. Is, you, you've ever heard of, uh, of Topper? Well, all right, he created Topper. Thorne Smith, uh, of course, that was a very... Uh, let's put it this way, sterile version of Topper that appeared in television. But his stuff was unbelievably bawdy uh, all the way through. Yeah, I remember one scene with Neptune. He had a thing called Nightlife of the Gods, one of his books, was about all the the Greek gods came back. Neptune and Mercury and that whole crowd. They were alive, you know, and they were coming back to Earth because things were going bad. They had to come back and straighten it all out, you know. And so here's Neptune sitting on the bottom of a Miami Beach swimming pool with his trident, and uh, he was sticking ladies in tender spots as they swam over him. <laughs> when you read this kind of stuff, when the other kids are reading, uh, you know, Captain Marvel, you're going to be another. I never read comic books. Comic books did not turn me on one bit. In fact, they bored me all the way. I suppose when you start reading things like, like Wodehouse, and you read things like uh, H Rider Haggard, and you read stuff like uh, Benchley and uh, Stephen Laycock. Uh, you're not about to get turned down by marvel at all uh, it, it never did it to me i never i was always bored by comic books now does that show a lack in me or not <laughs> well uh, everybody supposed to, i always see joel siegel on tv and joel siegel is always pretending that he liked comic books you know that's kind of sad but <laughs> which is worse, he seems to still like him, which is even sadder. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I never never was turned on to that. I never listened to the radio much either as a kid. Never uh, to me that was boring, and uh, and I I, uh, I was I was into I was into reading. And if I did anything if I did anything that was remotely connected with radio, I used to listen to an early show. This was when I was a little kid. There was a show that was on the one show that I never missed as a kid now how do you like that I did listen to the radio and you'll never guess what I've often talked to the guy that did it he's a friend of mine now and we used to uh, you know I talked to him about it a great deal whenever I see him and it was called well alright it was it was a show uh, that was done by Stud Turkle Stud Turkle you know who Stud Turkle is well Stud uh, Stud Turkle had a show called The Wax Museum and he used to do it in dialect where he did these operas and, and uh, he'd be on for one hour, and it was like, uh, if you can imagine, uh, say, uh, 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 let's say Lucky Luciano, some tough gangster, is telling you what uh, what uh, Don Giovanni is about. He would say, and then this doll, this doll comes out on the stage, and she starts singing this area, see, and she's singing to the Duke. I really, you know, I really thought it was great. Now, I thought that was very funny. Now, uh, I thought it was an extremely funny show. It was the only thing I ever really honestly listened to that I can say that I listened to on the radio. Now, uh, when it comes to listening to, the, you know, did you sit and listen to the Lone Ranger? No. You know, that, uh, to me, was, uh, was kind of a... I guess I, even at that age, I thought it was greasy kid stuff. <laughs> I was not into my... in my orbit. But... Uh, when, when it comes to uh, of course I, as I suppose when you when you get into other influences you have to get even further than that for one thing I used to uh, I used to really like uh, single panel cartoons I love cartoons now not cartoon strips a single panel cartoon you know like the kind you see in The New yorker I love those. He really, really, really does that stuff. And there was one cartoonist I really enjoyed when I was a kid, a cartoonist named Cobian, C-O-B-E-A-N. Cobian, in a sense, was the forerunner to to Gay and Wilson. He was was a cartoonist uh, of curious, sardonic humor. Speaking of sardonic humor, how about a couple of commercials? We're sure, we're sure, we're sure Traditionally, Passover and Easter are two of the world's most joyous holidays. They celebrate the freedom and rebirth of life and of the human spirit. And so, in the deepest sense of both holidays, Shopwell wishes all their friends, neighbors, and customers a healthy and happy holiday and the full, fruitful pleasures of peace and harmony for all of us. This weekend's holiday spend less specials are fresh roasting pork, bone in, 69 cents a pound, seedless grapes, 68 cents a pound. Skiers come alive at Mount Snow, Vermont for great Easter skiing. Heavy winter snows have provided a fantastic base for spring. And at Mount Snow, late March and April skiing under Vermont's sunny skies will be the highlight of your ski season. Economy skiing at Mount Snow begins at $40 for five and a half days of midweek skiing or $62 for Mount Snow's famous lift and lesson package. Spring skiing at Mount Snow also means fun filled special events. Easter is special at Mount Snow. Race in NASTAR or the Inner Tube Championship. Hunt for Easter eggs and enter Mount Snow's colorful Easter costume parade. Great prizes are awarded for all events. Ski Mount Snow in spring with their weekday economy package rates. special events, and great skiing into April. For further information and reservations, call Mount Snow toll-free at 800-451-4211. That's 800-451-4211. Mount Snow, Vermont. Yeah, here's a weird spot here. Have you ever felt that you could write as good an article as some of the ones you read in national magazines? Well, here's your chance, buddy. Harper's Weekly is a fascinating new publication written almost entirely by its own readers. For example, a supermarket clerk uh, reveals the little tricks of this trade. A citizen tells how volunteers defeated the gambling lobby. I'll bet. Parents and children report on busing. So, uh, if you'd like to write, here's your chance. Harper's Weekly will pay you $25 if your article is published, and they'll pay $10 for a clipping or a quote. So uh, even if you never contribute anything, you'll love reading the magazine. And if you uh would like to try it, just give them a call. Uh, They'll give you the first four issues free. If you don't like it, you just keep the issues and cancel. But if you do like it, you pay $6 for the next 24 issues. Call this number, JU2-2000, right now. JU2-2000. And if you're outside of the area, call area code 212-COLLECT. JU2-2000. Are you interested in vitamins containing natural source ingredients? There's a broad line of Squib vitamins containing these natural source ingredients called Golden Bounty, now available in your area. The Squib name is important when you buy vitamins because you want a name you can trust. Squib has marketed vitamin products since 1875, so you make an investment in confidence when you buy Squib vitamins. Golden Bounty Vitamins containing natural source ingredients include wheat germ oil, cod liver oil, brewer's yeast, protein tablets, and powder in assorted strengths and sizes. Certain other Golden Bounty products are for use only in vitamin deficiencies. Some contain man-made and natural source ingredients. See product labels. Golden Bounty Vitamins, naturally. Check your Squibb Vitamin headquarters at your local pharmacy or department store drug section. More than 10,000 theatergoers have seen the preview performances of Norman Krasner's We Interrupt This Program, the new mystery thriller now at the Ambassador Theater. And no one has guessed whodunit. Can you? We Interrupt This Program is a who done it that first grips you with a theatrical masterstroke as contemporary as this morning's headlines. It then involves you in a fiendishly clever mystery plot in which every member of the cast is a suspect. The butler didn't do it, but it might have been the priest the cop, the nice old people, or any one of the cast of 24. Academy Award winner Norman Krasner has devised a fascinating mystery play guaranteed to stump the most avid puzzle fans. We Interrupt This Program mixes high-voltage suspense with intricate whodunit plotting. See it now at the Ambassador Theater, 49th Street, west of Broadway. We Interrupt This Program. You'll never guess whodunit. Now this message from New York Magazine. For more than a decade, Andy Warhol has been one of this country's major artists and lifestyle trendsetters. But so far, most of what we know about what Andy Warhol thinks is what others have written. Well, that's about to change, because in this week's New York Magazine, you'll get a preview of The Philosophy of Andy Warhol by Andy Warhol. The book won't be published till September, but in this week's New York In an article entitled, Everything is Nothing, My Life and Philosophy, Warhol lets it all hang out. From the three nervous breakdowns he suffered as a child in the Keysport, Pennsylvania, to his first interview at a famous New York fashion magazine. You'll learn why Warhol dyed his hair gray at age 23, and his part in the counterculture, the subculture, pop, superstars, drugs, lights, all the things he epitomized. So read this week's New York magazine, where Andy Warhol, the world's foremost pop artist, pops off. Right. <laughs> so, so have I answered any questions? <laughs> what What is your influence? Well, uh, nobody knows. Can you have you have you ever really stopped to think what caused you to be the way you are? I mean, what were your? It, it isn't just artists that have influences. Let's face it. What drove you to become the top checkout man at the A and I mean, <laughs> at what point did you? You know, there there have to be influences, you know, in your in your mind and. And I don't know where this kid ever went. They moved out, and this kid had forever turned me onto what could be called uh, literature of humor. So I always thought of literature as primarily something that is sardonic and funny uh, to me. And uh, and 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 people who try to be funny in their writing often leave me very cold. For example, I, I I'm bored right out of my skull by uh, well uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut bores me totally now I know I've said a terrible thing to all of you <laughs> but I think I think uh, I think he's a, he's a passing uh, fad and I think he's a fraud uh, not a phony but a fraud I think he's fraudulent uh, in, in the sense that his literature seems better than it is at this time in history there always were that type uh, do I find Philip Roth funny no I find him very sad I don't find him funny at all uh, there are writers I find funny. Mordecai Richler, for example, I find funny. Who is he? Well, <laughs> he's, a, he's another one of those. So, so you you, you know where where, you, where it sticks, you never know what what the, what influences people, you'll never understand, and, and where it starts, no one knows. I can only say though that are a lot of things that are happening in your life, if you have to be a kid right now, and uh, there are a lot of kids who listen, if you have to be a kid right now. There's a lot of stuff that's, that's happening to you that you don't pay any attention to. That uh, 20 years from now is going to be an operative factor in your life. I mean, both for good or for not good, who knows? Uh, but the operative factors uh, are rarely the ones that Freud defined, I think, ultimately. Because he was in another age. The factors that, that, that defined the Freudian uh, world were, in many cases, not even existent today. But, uh, you know, uh, who was Mordecai Rickler? Well, he's a pretty good writer. Who was was P.G. Wodehouse? Probably one of the great uh, wordsmiths of all time. I'll tell you another guy that influenced me when I was a kid. I remember picking up another collection of his work, and I, and I, I was so fantastically thrilled when I first met him. And then to find out that he reads my stuff was really a great thrill was uh, S.J. Perlman. Another one. Uh, Perlman uh, has a sardonic. Now, I would have to say that, that the next writer that, that probably influenced me more than any of the others all put together in one specific style was the guy who wrote a novel called The Dream Life of Balso Snell. He also wrote something you probably know even better, The Day of the Locust. Right? Nathaniel West but <laughs> all right you know whoever got everybody has his own darts and arrows and slings of unkind fate it's how you been with them at council mm-hmm. yeah, this is woR New York stay tuned for in conversation